Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. When will they end? I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Gavin Kibble, a trustee of Hope Coventry, an organization getting community groups together for the benefit of Coventry. Gavin, hello. Hi there. Thank you for coming on the show today. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I, for me, leader means an enabler. So it's somebody who sets out the vision and strategy for an organization, uh, but then uh, gives permission for people that work for them to see that vision and strategy come into pass. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Uh, I would see myself very much as an enabler. So I realized that over the years that it would, would have been impossible for me to achieve everything that uh, I've been able to achieve simply by trying to do it by myself. So therefore, that ability to be able to see what the future might look like and to draw people into it and to inspire, give them that vision, um, and then uh, to let them go and see how they get on with it um, has been one of the um, the benefits, really, of being what well, I think has been a good leader over that time. Well, let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Were there any particular individuals or circumstances that shaped the way that you lead today? Um, Well, I'm a committed Christian, so I have to say that uh, a lot of my life has been around trying to take leadership qualities and put them into a church context. Uh, And part of that has been uh, that a lot of church leaders are very pastorally orientated to caring for their flock, and a lot of them... Uh, are also concerned with trying to keep the church building up. But I've, uh, over recent years, I've met an individual called Gary Spicer, and he's been really influential because he's a businessman as well as being a church pastor. And I think when you bring some of the uh, business skills into running a church, it creates a completely different dynamic. Now, of course, uh, no organization and no um, interpersonal relationship is always on an even keel. Um, Part of leadership is dealing with people, and people aren't always at their best. They have bad days, and sometimes they don't perform as we wish they would. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? Um, Conflict's an interesting thing, because the initial uh, response in a conflict situation is almost to spar. Uh, And I think, really, to be a great leader, you have to be a good listener. Uh, and so one of the things I've tried to do over uh, over the years, and, and this happens particularly in boardrooms, where you end up with a group of leaders who, uh, by characteristic, are very similar. They all want to have their, their say. Uh, they want their opinion heard. They, uh, they want their opinion listened to and acted upon. But I think a really good leader is somebody who has the ability to be able to listen, uh, to be able to understand the other person's perspective, even to repeat it back to them so that it shows that it's understood, and then be able to explain where they're coming from so that they can mediate a position which is good for both parties. Now, of course, another aspect of leadership is developing the next generation. So what is the most important thing that the next generation of emerging leaders needs to understand about leadership? Um. I really do believe in the next generation and bringing them uh, through. I, I think there's actually a biblical model for this. This is the, what we call the Elijah-Elisha model. Uh, and it's uh, effectively saying, look, you know, we've got this far in our understanding, 
but I, I can uh, pass that knowledge on to you. I can give you that skill set so you can be twice the person in terms of leadership that I ever was. Um, and I think it's about uh, taking people, uh, young people, into that bigger space to understand um, that by surrounding themselves with people uh, who've kind of journeyed there, who've got the bigger vision, who've uh, got the experience, that they themselves can benefit and move into that bigger space themselves. Do you have any mentorship programs in your organization? Uh, we do. So um, not within Coventry, but I'm a charity trustee of another organization called Imagine the Day. Um, and this runs something called the Lives Program, which is over uh, six residential weekends. And what we do is we take Christian business people um, with a great idea, maybe a God idea, and we hone it. And so a lot of my time, uh, and spend working alongside these individuals, so I'd take a half day with each of them across that year, uh, to take their idea and to stress test it. Pretty much we, what we do at the end of that is put them through a Dragon's Den kind of event. We call it Lion's Lair. But at the end of that, uh, we give them a bit of financing uh, and we bring them back into the second year where we would journey alongside them. Because I think it's all too easy to give somebody a small amount of money and wave goodbye and say, come back in a year and tell me how that all went. But we found that uh, the degree of uh, success is incredibly heightened if you're willing to journey with people and do what I said in terms of the previous answer, which is to uh, allow people to move into the space uh, of knowledge that you've got and created over the years of being a leader. So it's all about passing it on and, and making sure it's curated for uh, generations to come, I would imagine. Um, but, please but go they ahead. They want it. And so, you know, sometimes you, I find um, that uh, people are quite content with where they're at. But it's quite a, uh, an interesting breed of people who are truly entrepreneurial. Um, and they're quite a small cohort as well. It's not for everybody. Um, you know, an entrepreneurial person is definitely somebody who's a risk taker. Um, the fear of failure uh, is minimized. In fact, we accept that failure will happen and we allow failure to happen um, as long as we learn from the uh, from failure and then we don't repeat it a second time. These are all good styles of, of leadership, just releasing people into that, that bigger space. Now, of course, there are many different sorts of uh, leadership. Uh, there is uh, many different leaders. But if I was to press you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Uh, well, I've always heard, and I guess a lot of people would always say, that they had uh, uh, an admiration for Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was simply that he had the big vision and had a way of articulating it um, in such a way that it took people into almost an impossible space. Um, yet, because they got behind the vision and where he wanted to be, um, they were willing to sacrifice over and above what they would normally have done. Now, do you think uh, that Churchill's leadership strategies and qualities could be brought over into the world of business? Um, I think they probably already are. Uh, I think there's a lot that Churchill also did wrong. It's interesting. I was watching a program last night on uh, the suffragette movement, and it's quite clear that in his earlier years, um, his strategy towards the suffragettes was completely wrong. And there are instances like Gallipoli where he got it quite wrong. But uh, as far as being a leader for his time in the Second World War, I think he's widely acknowledged that um, that Churchill was uh, out of his class 
Um, and that kind of vision casting, that kind of motivational speaking that you also see, um, uh, you know, from other leaders, uh, is is something which I think um, is partly learned, but it's also partly there in the genetics. You know, some people are just born leaders. Some people uh, can be educated into it. Um, I think Churchill was a bit of both of those. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, Gavin, what does the next 12 months have in store for Hope Coventry? Uh, for Hope Coventry, um, we, I mean, Hope Coventry is a project of projects. So it has done things like a winter Church in the city of Coventry. Um, it also does a project with vulnerable, isolated older people uh, where we provide uh, befrienders. But interestingly, the next project for Hope Coventry isn't a social um, enterprise project of that type. It's actually a, um, a citywide prayer strategy, which is quite interesting because it's not an area I'm sort of used to. Um, but in June of this year, um, we are motivating the whole church with a massive vision to walk every street in the city of Coventry, praying for every household um, and praying a blessing over them. And that is uh, a precursor, really, to the city of culture here in 2021. It's the church's response to that, which may sound a bit strange to your uh, listeners, but actually, um, as a step for the church, it's about the unity of the church, because in a joined-up way, we can achieve a lot more uh, in the city of Coventry than we can as individual churches. And that's what's been achieved in this city over the last five or six years. Well, Gavin, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today, and hopefully you can come back on the program at some point in the future. Gavin, thank okay. you. Thank you. That was Gavin Kebbell, a trustee of Hope Coventry. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, there one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time mm. being stuck between the two sports and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer but um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in when you were at West Ham uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him, and I 
been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more, was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time 
maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing. And I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed professional uh, 
top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one, which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I had a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did make it again, laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? As someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader, um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time. 
goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.